0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. Got an episode coming up with one of our young hitters, Justin Lauer. Justin's got an incredible story. We go into great detail about uh, many, 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 many years he spent traveling the world, playing professional golf, uh, hoping to get a shot at the PGA Tour, something he earned this past Corn Ferry Finals. And we go through uh, how he got there and the the many events of his life that uh, that helped shape that. And a lot of people know Justin for... uh, his story of the tragedy that hit his family when he was uh, just in high school. And he tells us that whole story and kind of bears his soul there, which was uh, difficult, I'm sure, for him to tell. But we greatly appreciate him being so open and sharing, uh, sharing his story with the listeners. Knoling Up is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf. Precision Pro is proud to announce the next big thing in golf technology. It's the long-awaited Ace smart speaker. It is a groundbreaking portable Bluetooth speaker that reads distances to you over top whatever sweet tunes you got you know, banging through your phone whatever you're listening to while you play golf. Uh, we use this a lot when we were in Michigan, a few of the rounds where we went out for extra holes, going out stuff that we weren't really even filming. We use the A speaker. I use it here when I'm back home uh, here riding around in a cart. I like to walk, but, you know, if it, it fits great in the cart. It's not just a speaker. It stands for Audio Caddy Experience. It's a truly great tool. It, help, it can help you know your distance and swing with confidence. Every golfer Has dreamed of having their own personal caddy, the Ace is exactly that. It's your personal caddy. It speaks to you with GPS distances to the front, middle, and back of the green or customizable layup zones. The Ace Smart Speaker is available for only $149.99 or by making four easy payments of $37.50 using afterpay. So add sound to your round by going to PrecisionProGolf.com or Amazon.com, perfect gift for yourself or the golfer you know. You'll never second-guess your distance. You'll never second-guess adding the audio caddy experience to your golf bag. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Here's Justin Lauer. 11 years of pro golf before making it to the PGA Tour. Any estimation on how many hotel nights, how many flights, rounds, practice rounds, any of that? Have you thought about any of that?
1: No, I haven't. That's
0: the first,
1: uh, first question I've been asked like that for sure. I could probably... If you give me
0: a minute or two, I could probably figure it out. But well, I was going to ask also the the dollars spent on all that stuff too. But maybe you don't want to think about that one. <laughs> it's all right off in the end.
1: So, no, but uh, no, yeah, for sure. It's it's been a long journey, but happy where I'm at for sure.
0: Do you feel like a PGA Tour player yet? You've uh, you have three starts under your belt as official member. Do you do you feel like one yet?
1: Kind of. I have just as many uh, Monday qualifying rounds (laughs) as I do starts um, as a member. So uh, uh, a little yes and no. But hey, I mean, it's been a long journey. But like I said, I'm happy, happy where I'm at, happy for the opportunity. That lies ahead for sure. So,
0: well, let's for listeners that may not be familiar, right? You, you've in this fall series, you, uh, you were the 50th out of 50 priority coming from the Corn Ferry Tour. And we're going to talk about how you got there to begin with. But what's the fall been like for you? How do you get into events? What's it like, you know, with that priority number? What does that mean? And how does that potentially change over the course of a season?
1: It was all kind of a learning experience for me as well, just being that 50th guy and knowing exactly how many people are in our category, which I'm still not entirely sure of. Uh, but I was number 46 in our category. And I believe that was because of Jaeger and Bramlett and Mito all being, and Will, obviously, Zalators being outside of our category as well. So I think that's where the 46 number comes from. And then I actually went through the entire, like who's available for each tournament. And I was number 200 on that list on the priority ranking. So For those of you who are decent at math, um, if there's a field of 156 and I'm 200, I need 44 people not to play just for me to get into the field. This fall, uh, out of, I think there were eight or nine official events, I played three. Uh, I was in Napa, I got in Bermuda, and I got in the RSM at St. Simons, and I have had just as many, (laughs) like I said, Monday qualifier starts as I had uh, as uh, tournament starts, I tried the Monday qualifier for Sanderson, Vegas, and Houston. Put up good scores in each of them, but as Monday qualifiers are, they're never easy, especially the ones in the fall where guys are either going through Q school at the same time and playing well. And it's just uh it's been a grind. But looking forward to the start of twenty twenty two for sure.
0: And so there, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a reshuffle here at the end of the fall. What did, you know, you, you finished team 17 at Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did that do for you as far as reshuffling and, and what is, what is your future uh, schedule look like?
1: I moved up from 46 to 27. Um, our category got uh, one person smaller with Lucas uh, Herbert winning in Bermuda. So that did move me up theoretically one number, but also he moves up to the tournament winner's category. So it doesn't really do anything for me. But with the reshuffle, um, I did move up to 27, which should get me in the next uh, four full field events, not counting the uh, Tournament of Champions, obviously. But Sony, I should be good. American Express, as well as Tori, and then Pebble, which I'm really looking forward to all four of those, obviously. Uh, not only are they PJ Tour events, but they're uh, spectacular
0: golf courses as well. So, I was gonna say that's quite <laughs> a quite a quite a polar opposite from uh, from from your journey. Any polar opposite in terms of what you're able to plan on how to start your year, right? Absolutely, yes, for sure. Uh, well, what's it you know? What's it like teeing it up as as a member? You know, are you did you feel comfortable out there in the starts that you were able to make this fall? Do you feel like you know, uh, of, of, it's a weird way of asking it, but I was going to say, do you feel like you're supposed to be there? Obviously, you've earned your spot there, but I'm asking from an own internal mindset, does it feel like, you know, you're ready to compete out there? or what, What's this first few few months been like?
1: No, I, I definitely feel like I'm ready to compete. From I, I had made four starts as a non-member just through Monday qualifying and exemptions and whatnot, and um, neither of those really felt ready. I made the cut in one of them, but still there is definitely a comfort factor there. Um, and I think that's knowing most of the guys. I, I mean, a lot of the guys out there I've played with or competed with through the corn Ferry tour. And that's where uh, that comfort factor comes in. Just knowing them just on a golf level, a little bit on a personal level, some guys a little more hidden in the personal level, but yeah, definitely feeling more and more comfortable. Uh, the more events I play, I, like I put up some good scores, obviously had a decent finish in Bermuda, was in the second to last group or third to last group on Sunday. So I was, I was going to
0: say, don't downplay that too much. <laughs> you were, you were in contention to win that golf tournament.
1: I, I was. Yeah. And if it was, I, Hey, if the weather would have been, I, I'm not really a bad weather. I've, even though growing up in Northeast Ohio, I've kind of become accustomed to the, uh, the fair weather golfer notion for sure. Uh, yeah, I was, somewhat in contention there for sure was playing well and had two late bogeys that probably cost me a top 10 getting in one more start, which would have been my but, um, no, just, uh, a good finish for sure. The biggest check I've made. And it's a lot of positives to pull away from it for sure.
0: Are you able to, separate out, you know, you, you, you led me right there, which was I was going to go next. You said, biggest check I've made. Are you able to not think about the money when you, and just to give listeners an idea you're, you're it's basically 10 X the purse that you are used to playing for, you know, a T 17 finish paid you $99,000 in Bermuda T 17 on the corn ferry does not pay $99,000. There's a lot of things you're playing for reshuffling, you know, trying to keep your card for next year already and, and all of these things. But is money one of those things you, you're thinking about at that point? Uh, to a point, I mean,
1: the way I've played golf, as many, many tour events as I've played, you're always kind of thinking about the money, but there's a point where you stop thinking about it and it just becomes how well you're finishing in the tournament at some point. Obviously, like where the game is headed and all this new, all these startup, not startup tours, but these other tours that are coming up, we're talking about so much money. Like, obviously money plays a huge part in what we do especially on the PGA tour, even the corn fairy tour, like the guys that do well on the corn fairy tour they're They may not say they're making a living, but if they're smart about it, you can definitely make a, not a comfortable living, but a decent living for sure. And obviously it gets better when you move up to the PGA tour. Obviously, like I said, money plays a huge factor in what we do, but it's not the end all be all. Obviously we love playing golf. We love playing, we love competing. And in the end, that's, that's what it comes down to. And fortunately, the better you do, the more you get paid. So a little different than other sports, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a thought for sure.
0: Well, does anything come to mind regarding, you know, what you maybe specifically need to get better at just from a few starts out on the PGA Tour? Meaning, is there anything different test-wise on PGA Tour golf courses that's maybe a little bit different than the Corn Ferry Tour or playing with some of the guys you've played with so far out on the PGA Tour? Is there anything you came back into the winter and said like, hey, all right, here is very clearly what I need to get better at. Let's go do that.
1: Yeah, just... Um... Just consistency overall. The guys you see win on the PGA Tour and compete week in, week out, they're very good at not only just like every aspect of the game, but they're good at the little things as well, like managing time, managing your body, your mind, uh, stuff like that. So, um, physically wise, um, I would say, just from a, a golf perspective, I would say getting a little better at playing on firm conditions. Uh, Napa was kind of eye opening for me on. Uh, actually, how firm that golf course got, especially Friday afternoon. And I, I struggled. I'll be the first to admit, um, I did not play well that day, and didn't really have a great mindset going in. So on the mental side, is just having the right mindset each round in each tournament, um, and even breaking that down to each hole and each shot, um, and just learning, just learning from guys who have been out there, learning ways to manage golf courses and stuff like that. And obviously, experience plays a huge role. I've played. I had six years of experience on the corn Ferry tour where I got to know the golf courses and now I'm learning new golf courses for the same or for the first time. So little things you got to jot down here and there for the next time you're in that situation. Like I said, getting ready to play better on firmer golf courses, tougher golf courses. My ball striking is always there, but if I could get a little more consistent off the tee, obviously distance helps. It's probably the quickest way to get better in this game now. And then uh, putting, I I feel like I'm a, Pretty decent putter, but it's very streaky at times. So uh, back to that consistency word that I use quite a bit, just being a little more consistent uh, in every aspect of the game, but driving and putting for sure.
0: I'm going to throw something at you, uh, somewhat of a theory that's semi-half-baked, but I've I've spent what feels like a lifetime now trying to determine what – differentiates a professional golfer from one of the best professional golfers, right? Because I can play a round of golf with you. I can play a round golf with some of the corn Ferry guys here in Jacksonville and like watch them hit their great shots. And I could play with Max Homa and know that they're like the great shots don't look dissimilar. Like they, they, they don't, it's, you, you know, you can't just watch and this is a Rotella thing too. Like you can't go to the driving range and say, oh, that player's better than that player. Right. Cause it kind of all looks the same but it seems like the best players if i may say whatever they're hitting that really good above average shot say 8 9 times out of 10 whereas the next tier guy is only hitting that 6 7 times out of 10 does that seem like one am i kind of onto something there when you talk about consistency and i don't know if those numbers sound right but i'm wondering if you could just kind of speak to you know how uh, what what you think makes up that difference
1: no i i agree with you 100 percent it's um like even though you said it's eight or nine out of ten compared to six or seven out of ten over a course of a tournament over four rounds it's it's only a quarter of a shot per round when you break it down but that's literally what we're trying to how better we're trying to get like we've all reached a point where we're trying to we're trying to find that quarter of a shot here and there and that's where strokes gained is obviously become such a huge part of the game and Obviously more and more studies are showing that distance is the biggest, biggest way to gain the most amount of strokes on the field. And obviously you have your, your crazy putting days, your crazy ball striking days where you are absolutely the best in the world at each of those aspects, but it all, it comes down to everything really and how much, like how many times you can really come up with that quarter of a shot where it that it could be one shot over a whole tournament, and I, I I've been fortunate enough to play with uh, Patrick Rogers the last couple months. Um, we played the first two rounds of the Corn Ferry Tour Championship together, and then we played the final round of Bermuda together, where he finished, I think, solo fourth, and was kind of making a run towards the end of the tournament. And I feel like that's where, like, I learn about a lot about myself in tournaments, but I learn more by watching these guys come down the stretch like Patrick he's he's obviously younger than me but he's been on tour for this may be his sixth or seventh season on tour now the way he went about that day like with the conditions were obviously tough with the wind and the rain and it being very unpredictable it seemed like every half hour to every 45 minutes I guess somewhat predictable that a squall was coming in and all this rain and wind that you can't like you can be 10 feet from someone and not hear a word they're saying. But the way he went about that tournament, he was so patient. And he just, there were some times during that round where like, I may have been a shot up on him for the round and maybe even for the tournament, but then he hits, we hit different shots to where he picks up that quarter of a shot on me or something like that. And then it turns into another shot. Maybe he makes a 40 footer for birdie and I have a five footer for par. And I miss that when in reality, I was closer to him on the tee shot, but on a par three, but he makes that 40 footer. And then I have a five footer that's left or right. And the wind is break and the wind is going left or right as well. And anything over, I think 20 miles an hour affects putts. So you're, you're hitting a putt that you really have no idea what's what it's really going to do. And you try and just put the best stroke on it. You can, but, um, and the same with, if I can revert back to Taylor Gooch, who just won RSM. I mean, the guy's been playing unbelievably, unbelievable golf this last calendar calendar year. But I played with him the last round in 2017 when he won in Knoxville uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour. Just the way he went about that round that day in that tournament, we were in completely different situations. I was fighting to play in the next event, which was Portland. I had to make the cut just to get in that event because... I had had conditional status that year and I, I I wasn't putting up good results And that I ended up finishing T20 that week and it ended up being my best finish of that year. And it gave me a lot of confidence going forward, but just watching him going through that round, he started, I think two or three back and he's like, I'm going to play the best golf I can. I'm going to stick to my game plan. And if it's good enough coming down the stretch, I'm going to win this fucking golf tournament. Like, Like that's literally the way he went about it. And it was so like.
0: Freeing. Yes. Freeing. It sounds freed up is what I feel like you're describing.
1: Yes. A hundred freed. And like, it inspired me as well. Like, wow. Like this is how you get it done. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get it done in on that stage um, yet. I've had my chances, but I think that's what set like back to our original question. Like that's what separates the guys who win from the guys who don't win, um, the guys that keep their card, the guys who don't keep their card. And um, like you said, the the very good professional golfer to the also good professional golfer, but not quite on that next level yet. So it's um, that, I I feel like that's where I learn the most is just from other guys. Like obviously you learn from yourself and big opportunities and how you can do better the next time. But if you can, I I think for me, for sure, I I learn more, watching guys in situations like that for sure because we all I feel like we all feel the same pressure and the same nerves but it's how you handle them and how you kind of go from there
0: it's and it seems like something that you can chant it's not something you can just channel right you can't just be like all right let's go play confident golf like that just it just doesn't work that way you know it might work on one week and then six weeks later that same approach just isn't the same thing. And you said something too, about just being like a, a, a few minutes ago about being in a better mental state and, and, a mental. Uh, I don't know exactly what you were referring to there, but what does that mean to you? Like, what, how do you, how do you get in a repeatable mental state? That's something that I struggle with is like, dude, Yeah. sometimes I'm like, I, I got it totally figured out. And then I got the mental side figured out. I got it. And then the next tournament, I am just like such a whiny little bitch to myself. You know, <laughs> so- I,
1: I suffer the same thing. I mean, <laughs> There are are tournaments where, like, the BMW this year for me, um, the BMW program on the Corn Fairy Tour, I was 23 under through three rounds, and, like, nothing bothered me. Like, I'm playing, like, you're you're playing with two amateurs the first two rounds. And my amateur, fortunately, we won the team event, so I'd play with them the third round as well. And nothing bothered me those first three rounds. Then that last round comes up, and it's just me and another player, and it was it's like a different mindset. And it's like, how do you separate that mindset from the mindset you were in the first three days where everything seems so easy? And that's, I'm still learning from that. I think it has to do with on the course stuff as well as off the course stuff. And I'm working that as, working on that as well. be flat out honest, I, I have been in therapy since um, 2019, just dealing with anxiety, um, pressure that I put on myself on the golf course, off the golf course, social situations, as well as self-esteem issues, um, that I fight with. And it's, it's been a rough journey, but I feel like it's, um, like each day is new, but it's each day is one in the same, because it's all the same situations that you find yourself in, whether it's on the golf course and off the golf course. And I've really tried to work on that and it's, it's not easy, but you just kind of take one day as it comes and kind of go from there.
0: Two things in relation to that. One, what, what, what triggered you, I guess, to, to seek out therapy and, and, and to what, what have you, what, if, if there's a way to sum it up and I'm sure it's probably pretty complicated, but sum up what you think the big, some of the biggest takeaways are uh, that you've had from uh, that therapy that you sought out.
1: What originally made me seek it out was probably just wanting to be. So I, the, one of the big issues I, I struggle with is my self-worth does not match my score on the golf course or a finish in a golf tournament or a finish on a money list, a points list, anything like that. That is something I've struggled with, still struggle with it to this day. And then a takeaway that I've gotten from all this is anything that you feel coming in, think of it as like a wave on an ocean that it may come in. It may feel like it's hurting you. It may feel like it's going to just be there forever, but eventually it goes back out. And then another way of thinking, like a stream or a river, like something bad may come up and be right in front of you, but that river always keeps going, and that bad thing or bad thought or bad situation, it always goes away theoretically. And then something good is always on the horizon. So I'm a big believer in like things happen for a reason, both good and bad. So yeah, just to go back to the first question, just I I, I wanted to be happier off the golf course and happier on the golf course as well. And I think they're one in the same when you're content on the golf course, you seem to be content off the golf course. And then both when you have your off the golf course life figured out, I feel like being on the golf course is much easier and it seems to flow a little more in my opinion. So.
0: A quick break here to share a bit of Intel that we received. You've heard us talk a lot about, you know, us being brand ambassadors for Elijah Craig bourbon. We received word max Homa. A new brand ambassador for Elijah Craig Bourbon, one of our favorite golfers, repping one of our favorite bourbons. Our favorite bourbon. This is not even one of our favorite bourbons. This is my favorite. From small batch to barrel-proof, there's an award-winning tradition at Elijah Craig. They won Best Small Batch Bourbon at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition a few years ago and won double gold. At this year's competition, even their new straight rye whiskey was named a top 10 whiskey of 2020 by Whiskey Advocate. It's not only celebrated by experts, it is enjoyed by all, especially those of us here at No Laying Up, and especially by Max Homa. Visit ElijahCraig.com, enter your zip code to find their bourbon at a bar or a store near you. No Laying Up is brought to you by Elijah Craig Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Bardstown, Kentucky, 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Let's get back to Justin Lauer. If I may say and you can you can speak to this as someone that has battled pro golf as we mentioned for over a decade now, like so much of what you guys go through is stressful one, and there's so much failure along the way and failure can be defined any way you want to define it and you know a t twenty five may not be a failure to you one week and the next week that may be a failure, but it is, I guess, one, one question in relation to that. What percentage of tournaments do you feel like you walked away feeling like you, feeling like you didn't fail? And two, like, does that, did you ever feel like that taking a toll on you over the years in terms of not just your success on the course, but it being you're away from home, you're maybe not seeing loved ones, the stress of travel, the uncertainty of what your next month, day, week, year is going to be like, all of that. I mean, that adds up, especially for as long as you've been at it.
1: Absolutely. Um, Especially my, my first two years on the corn fairy, although they were three years apart, 2014 and 2017, 2014, I was (laughs) kind of young and naive and I was a lot more positive then than I became. Like I was guaranteed zero starts, ended up with 13. I was like, Hey, this is great. Like I'm playing the corn fairy tour. Then it was the web.com. I felt just so much more confidence about just every part of my game, even though I wasn't really playing well. And then 2017, I was in the same category, like zero guaranteed, turned it into 13 through Monday qualifying and an exemption here or there. But I handled it differently both times, like not knowing where the next start was and how that turned into having to go to a Monday qualifier when I've never seen the golf course and, because I had made the cut, but couldn't get there in time in the previous, like the previous week. And it just, it was so frustrating. And then I finally get these guaranteed starts, but then I'm actually playing full seasons and not, not knowing some of the golf courses, not knowing some of the travel, especially the international travel on the corn ferry tour. It can be not easy. There's language barriers, there's monetary issues like exchange rates, stuff like that. Um, And then just like, like going back to that comfort factor, like not feeling comfortable and not knowing what's next is a very uneasy feeling at times. And um, I feel like even though I had four years of guaranteed starts on the Corn Ferry Tour, going back to the PJ Tour, I feel like I'm almost back in that category where not knowing what's next really, even though I do kind of know what's next. And it's just a very hard feeling to deal with sometimes. And it gets very overwhelming and you get stressed out. And then if you start thinking about everything that goes into it, the travel, the time away from home, everything like that, it can be very, very overwhelming and it can be very challenging at times. But the thing I've learned and that I'm still learning is that you can get over it. You just take a deep breath, sleep on it. If you have to like it, it all works itself out. And like, whether you think you're the only one struggling like this, like other people are at the same time. And that's, you don't have to constantly tell yourself that because you want to have fun what you're doing and whatnot. You don't want to think of the struggles the whole time. But if you can just kind of wake up and just kind of take the challenge of the day on and be happy with where you're at, I think you're you're good to go in my opinion. So.
0: Well, and I feel like I hear this from from pro golfers too, is like, you know, even Justin Thomas talked about this on the podcast this week, uh, this, uh, this quarter, he was saying, you know, like look at my job. Like I travel the world and play the best golf courses yet. Like I wasn't in a good mental place. And like that like that effect can cause a lot of people listen to this might say, like, oh boo hoo, like you chose this career and you play golf every day and all that. Like, I don't feel bad for you. Uh well, like that's that's what I hear. I read that online at times, but like that can almost double down on you. I feel like where in terms of why am I pissy? Why am I down today? Like, look at what I get to do for a living. And it it like almost has a a double effect more than it like brings you back to reality. Have you experienced that at all?
1: A hundred percent. And that's that like, trust me, I'm not complaining about my job at all. It's an unbelievable job. And I've had this conversation with guys like on the PGA tour, like it's amazing. Some stuff the tour does is well thought out and amazing. And it makes a hundred percent sense. Other things they do, kind of leaves us scratching our head from time to time, but it's still amazing. And it beats any other job in the world. In my opinion, the part that I struggle with is the social media part. You see all these people that think they know everything like, Oh, your sponsors pay for all your travel. No, that, that could, couldn't be like,
0: as a sponsor of yours, we do not (laughs) pay for your travel.
1: (laughs) Like It couldn't be further from the truth. Like we, we pay for all of our travel. we some of us organize all of our travel. I organize mine. Some guys use their agents and agencies to do that. I like having the control of knowing what I have in front of me uh, when it comes to travel. Like, And you read these people online that have no idea what they're talking about and no idea how it works. And that's where it gets really frustrating. But you have to... I, I read some uh, PJ Tour players say, if you have social media accounts... And you have a tweet or something written out, think before you push tweet. Like, do I really need to send this? Do I really need to put myself through this potential argument that will come up? Do I really need to put myself through this? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the agony over it? Probably not. So just look at it, laugh at it if you can. Maybe get a little mad at it, screenshot it, send it to one of your buddies. Like, look at this idiot. Like, he thinks we get everything paid for. Like, yeah, we, we get to play free golf at a lot of places, but we're away from our loved ones a lot. I'm away from my wife a lot. I'm away from my dog a lot, who I love. I'm away from my family, my home. It's, it's very tough at times, but I will say it's, one of the coolest jobs on the
0: planet. Well, so. I was going to say you, you a good rule of thumb that I've always failed to live by is just never tweet. Like there's just never... You're in a
1: different position. I than, know, but than, I don't know how many oh, times I'm is. like, why did I, why did I engage? Like, why did
0: I do this? I could have been sitting around watching TV, hanging out, and I just had to do it. Now I'm checking my replies, all that. So what uh, you you said a couple things that the tour does there that leave you scratching your head. What uh, What are some examples of that?
1: Oh uh, yeah. I don't want to. Let's get you in trouble. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope I don't get a a PR call after this, but no, it's just like, now that I'm thinking of it, I can't really think of anything, but some, <laughs> some stuff makes perfect sense. Like it could be as simple as the food and player dining like nine and nine proams. They're the coolest thing ever. I think they're they They benefit us. They benefit pro they, they benefit caddies. They benefit the, Actual AMs playing in pro am For listeners' like,
0: sake, that's for a pro AM day. They play nine holes with one pro, swap over to the other side, play nine holes with another. Your guys' energy levels higher. You get the full experience of playing with someone in nine holes. You don't need to play all 18. And no. players love it. And yeah, I love those two.
1: And then you get two, you get like the AMs get two pros. Yep. Like how many, how many guys can, how many everyday golfers can say, hey, I played with two professionals in one day. Now on the opposite end of that, let's say you are on the back end, let's say you were filling in for a pro at let's say 3.45 p.m. Hmm. in Springfield, Missouri on the Corn Ferry Tour, where it's 90 degrees and 90% humidity. And um that nine holes takes three hours, let's say. So 345, you're 645 before you're even in your car ready to go back to your hotel or your private housing, wherever. And let's say you have a 7 a.m. tea time the next day. Like that is the one thing. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like they, they obviously have control of the tea times. Can we just fix this issue to where they're in the late early cat or late early wave and you get a chance to rest. Like we got to play the pro-am like again, I'm not complaining about my job, but it's just little things like that.
0: That seems minor, but Wednesday afternoons at tour events, it's shut down. Like people get home, yes. get rested. Like you got four more days of this. That it's kind of a, a go to thing. Like whoever you see on the range at four thirty or five on a Wednesday, like don't put your money on that guy. Like he's looking no. for something right now. You should be done with your prep by then. For sure. So I, I see what you're getting at there. That's that's yeah. innocent enough. I don't think you'll get in trouble for that one. So I could see I could see your wheels turning a couple steps ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about your your path to getting to to the PGA Tour. And, and I don't know where that where that starts for you. I'm sure there's a million different ways we can go with that. But let's start with your closest calls. You've been very close to you've been in the moment. You've been extremely, extremely close, uh, especially speaking of 2018. You had an eight foot birdie putt on the last hole of the Corn Ferry Tour Championship to secure your PGA tour card. Let's go through some of that and we'll get to building up to the moment where you're also faced with that scenario, which we know how it ends, but uh, going back to that time, what was that like to be a, to be a shot out? And I enjoyed the story you've told Kevin Price too, about uh, requesting that video from him as well as another one that you requested from him.
1: Uh, Yeah. So uh, 2018 was my first year of having guaranteed starts um, on the corn ferry tour. I had finally Made it to finals of Q school for the third time and finished. Then it was top 45. Now it's top 40, which we'll go back to the, that's a whole nother story um, for sure. But um, ended up finishing 62nd on the regular season money list, had uh, one top 10, which was a, uh, a solo third in Louisiana and ended up finishing Like I said, 62nd, go into the finals, web.com finals at the time. Missed the cut by a shot in um, Columbus, uh, which is an event that I love. Just being from Ohio, being in Columbus, just anytime I get to play in Ohio, it's a fun feeling. You being from Ohio, I can, I'm sure you share that same thing. And then we had the Cleveland event the next week. Actually, I think we had a week off. Either way, made the cut in Cleveland, got to throw out a first pitch at Indians game, childhood. Dream of mine. Throw a strike. It borderline. Okay, so I have no. the video. So <laughs> no, <laughs> someone someone might have sent it way over the fence, but that's again another story. But uh, no, I made the cut there. Finished thirty second. Then I think we had a week off. Then I finished ninth in Boise, which put me in a spot that I've really never been in. A, a spot to really get a PJ tour card. I was 26th entering the tour championship that week in Atlantic Beach. Shot, I think eight under the first two days. made the cut comfortably, shot six under to the third round, played really well coming down the stretch. I think I shot four under on the back nine. Like I said, a position I've never really been in. And I'm playing with two guys that day, Adam Svensson and Adam Shank, who have their cards locked up. Uh, they both got them locked up in the regular season. It's it's just kind of all on me. Cameras weren't really around us all, all day. Um, got off to a decent start, was under par early. Something that a lot of people don't know is, I think it's the fifth or sixth hole. It's the first of back-to-back par fives there. I was in the middle of the fairway, had like 235 pin, and hit a, hit a three iron that was right at it. And it hits a sprinkler head and goes over the green. And all of a sudden, I'm a foot away from being out of bounds. And now I'm like struggling to make par on this par five when when the ball's in the air in my second shot, like I'm thinking possible eagle, definite birdie. Like if I walk off with par, I'm gonna be not discouraged by it, but like not too happy with it at the same time. And that's when it starts to kind of like, okay, like this is real, like this is happening. Haven't looked at a lot of leaderboards, but I know it's playing easy and whatnot. So go through the hole back nine. Haven't, I think I'm one under for the, for the day. Haven't really made any birdies. I get to the 17th hole and I just happen to glance at a leaderboard and I see him projected 26th. Hmm. Um, so I'm like, okay, I need, I, I know I need something. So the 17th hole is a kind of a risk reward par four. It's kind of short where the pin is at. I don't think it's smart to hit driver Uh, I hit five iron off tee and I hit a 60 degree from like 83 yards to like two feet. So make birdie. And I'm like, okay, that birdie definitely helped. One more would probably seal it for sure. Um, 18 is a reachable par five. It's probably 530 yards. I hit a decent drive down the left side of the fairway and I've got, it was like 232 pin. I think it was like 216 cover on the bunker or something like that. And I'm aiming right edge of the green, trying to draw one in there. And I hit it perfect. Um, It's just not drawing a hair. And I'm like kind of looking at it, trying to edge it more and more toward the pin. And I see it kind of kick hard. And it. looking at the coverage afterward, it kicked off this kind of back edge of a bunker. And it ended up going up back up toward the grandstand and got relief from the grandstand and kind of had kind of a ticklish chip slash pitch shot down this hill that if it got away from me, it could get kind of ugly. There's water right behind the pin. So like if I, if I gas this chip a little bit, it could get away from me. And I hit what I thought was a decent shot to about eight feet, put it kind of below the hole. So had a, had a decent look and read it from every angle. And uh, still to this day, I thought it was going in after I hit it, Uh, may have just under read it a hair. It lipped out on the low side and ended up missing it by a shot. It came down to less than I think it was like four hundred and ninety dollars was the difference. And I had people calling me like, I will gladly pay that difference if it means you get on getting on the tour. Is that how it worked? No, that's not how it works. Come on. Like, yeah, I ended up finishing 26th, missed the PJ tour card by a shot. Was it devastating? Absolutely. Was it a blessing in disguise? Probably. I really don't think I would have been ready for a full season, I may have gotten off to a good start, but because I was playing well at the time, but I probably was not ready for a full season on the PJ Tour after just having one full season on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, you never know in that situation. But um, but then, yeah, I did ask Kevin uh, for the video of me missing the putt. And this goes back to the little therapy thing. I thought that would be motivating for me, like looking at that and watching that putt over and over, but it kind of had a negative effect on me. And that's when I reverted back to another video he sent me. I can't remember if I asked him for that or if he just sent it to me, but he was there um, that December in 2017 before all this on my last hole at Q school where I needed a birdie just to get guaranteed starts. And I hit one of the best drives I've ever hit. And I hit a gap wedge to about 12 feet and ended up making a putt to get guaranteed starts finally and I've learned that watching that and watching the positive vibes from that is a lot more beneficial than watching the, the putt where I missed and Hmm, I I learned the hard way. I would have never thought that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Who knew? (laughs) But, um, but I've always kind of been like that kind of chip on your shoulder type. Like, yeah, I'm never going to let this happen to me again. Like in golf, when it's, when it's as hard as it is, it's definitely more beneficial to focus on the positive. Yeah. 2019 happened. Um, yeah, then COVID happened and I think I I think I may have gotten my card had there been promotions to the tour that year. Obviously, we had a mega season. I think 46 events. I think I played 40 of them, which is insane two, by the way. <laughs> yeah, over 2 years. I mean, it's it's oh. it's crazy to think of. And it was just so crazy like this past year watching guys like play so well and struggled to move up and guys not playing well and struggle to move down because there was such a big dispersion in the points and it was such a grind and came came up again came up short again in the uh in the regular season definitely had a chance coming down the stretch um, had i played better in some of the final events probably didn't handle it the best uh, especially in omaha but knew my game was in a good place uh maybe not trending but definitely in a good place uh, and then mentally i was in a good place as well and the script was a little bit different this past, uh, summer for sure. So.
0: Well then, so take us there. We get into, to Korn Ferry finals. you you get yourself into position. What was, what, what did you need that last tournament, uh, and, and take us through playing the, that back nine, especially that last hole.
1: I finished like 33rd in Boise with two really good rounds and two pretty poor rounds. And then like 51st and, Fifty-first or forty-six, something like that, in Columbus, which just not what you need. But I was I was in fortieth on the finals rankings going into the tour championship, so I needed a good a good week. It's not like I could just slide by with like a T thirty or a T forty and get my card. Um, I still needed a good week. Felt good about it. Played solid the first two rounds. Back to a head scratcher on the PJ tour. So we played it down the first two days, and there was a lot of well, a lot of complaining from everyone why we were playing it down. Hitting a mud ball with 10 to 15 mile an hour winds is never the funnest thing in golf, uh, especially when you need good results to happen. So managing uh, my patience as as well as my game, those first two days was huge. And then I played well the third round uh, to get myself in position. And then the last round, I knew I was close because obviously I had to do some interviews after the third round. So I specifically asked them, I was like, if you can let it happen, like, do not let me know where I stand. Like, I, if I can, I'd like to not see any projections. I'd like to not see any leaderboard. Like, I hadn't looked at a leaderboard that week. I didn't know where I was in the tournament. I knew I was close based on my time of tea time or time frame uh, and um, obviously doing the interviews.
0: How hard is that to avoid all that? I mean, I, oh, it's, I, even if you're trying, I don't know if you, uh, that, that seems like harder than actually making it. Cause there's standard bearers, there's leaderboards. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Standard, bear, standard bearers are not that bad because they just tell you whether it's, whether you're under par or over par, yeah. basically the leaderboards are probably the hardest part. I do feel like they're strategically placed um, in their blue. Blue is very inviting and they're big, they're electronic, they're bright. So it's, you see them. Um, it's the, it's, the hardest thing to do is when you're lining up a putt and it's in your (laughs) field of vision and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, you have a 10 footer for birdie here. You need to focus on this. You do not need to look at that leaderboard right now. Like this is something that I go through. I, I know I can't be the only one. And then looking at the app is the hardest part, even though the PGA tour app isn't always the best. It is really our only way to get like up to date live action, especially on the corn Ferry tour. That was the hardest part, not looking at that as well, not because it, it has a projection leaderboard there. It has an actual leaderboard. So it, it has everything at your disposal. So it takes a lot of self-discipline to not do it. I locked like the app on my phone that week. Um, I was not allowed to look at it. I thought I did a pretty good job of all that. Um, but going into that last round, I didn't get off to a great start. I, was, um, I think I was two over at one point. Uh, not hit, I hit some good shots, but I hit some very bad shots as well and short-sighted myself, which is something I would really worked on, um, just from a management side of golf, just really taking my course management and course discipline to another level. I used a, an app to try and help me with that and a system. And I do feel like it helped. And then that back nine, I knew like, okay, like you've been in this situation before you're, definitely a more confident golfer. You're a better golfer. Just give it your all this back nine. And look, if you, if you shoot three or four under and you can be happy with it. And I told myself like going after that round, like if I can give it my all and be happy, regardless of the outcome, I can live with it. I hit a good drive on the 10th hole, which is a par five, which a good tee shot can set you up on that hole made birdie on that hole made birdie on the 12th hole, which they made drivable which I heard some guys who were also in contention for a car laid up on that hole and, um, struggled. So that was, uh, was it a key moment? Maybe, maybe not. And I hit some really good shots coming down the stretch. I hit a five iron to like 10 feet on the 14th hole, which is one of the hardest holes in the course. And, but I knew like something was up. The cameras were on us <laughs> literally from, from 12 to 18, they were on us every single shot. And especially me. And I'm like, like trying to like tell myself, okay, Sahith is playing very well. He could be in contention, even though he had a bad hole here and there. So maybe they're watching him. I'm like, no, they're that. It's like that angel and devil. Like, no, they're watching you, man. Like, you need to <laughs> focus here. Like, something's happening. Like, um, and then on the 18th hole at 18th hole at Victoria National is it's one of the most intimidating holes in golf. I think if I can set the scene for you, it's. Um, It's like 440. You can chew off some of it if you want, but there's nothing but the biggest lake you've ever seen to the right. And left, there's not, not the greatest stuff either. There's two bunkers over there, tall grass, and I'm aiming at one of these fairway bunkers, and I'm telling myself just to hit the hardest cut that I can off these two bunkers. And I hit it, and it felt good, and I look up, and it's just going straight left. It's not cutting at all. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing but disaster over there. And, uh, I see it bounce and it lands kind of on a, a slope that is sloped back toward the fairway and it kind of kicks up and I'm on the right side of the cart path, which is very beneficial because if I was on the left side, i probably wouldn't have been able to cross the path and I would have had to drop in very long grass, which would have made my up and down much harder. Um, so I was able to take a drop from the cart path, um, dropped it. in what I thought was kind of a flyer lie. Um, had, I want to say it was like 163 front, 182 pin or something like that. So I'm trying to hit something that lands right on the front edge of the green or around the front edge. Is your adrenaline going nuts at this point? I mean, kind of I'm oddly calm and I think it's because I didn't know where I stood. (laughs) So there's plenty of theories on that. Like, do you need to know? Do you not need to know? I've, I've done both. Um, Both have worked when it's, whether it's coming down like on the cut line and you know, you need a birdie, like it felt different. I felt like oddly calm. And I think it was evident on the pitch shot that I hit to get to the pitch shot. Um, the eight iron came out dead, but it came out in like a perfect spot on a slight downhill lie, which kind of helped, which the, the grass was down grain, which meant I didn't really have much uh, resistance going through on the shot. And on a 30 yard pitch shot, you don't really want it to be into the grain under any circumstance, especially when it's a little wet. And I hit probably the coolest pitch shot I've ever hit in my life. Something I practice a lot, but it's cool when you do it under the gun and uh, just hit a nipped 30 yard shot that landed probably 21 or 22 yards and skipped and took the perfect check that you need and uh, stopped about foot and a half short of the
0: pin and do you have any idea how maddening it is to follow this from the app? By the way, because all we get is no a tee shot to rough. <laughs> See, like we're yeah. following every single shot at this point, and just like refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And uh, yeah, gosh. And then yeah, we get the message that he did it. And you're standing over the foot and a half putt. I mean, at this point, do you know what it's for? Like, if the cameras, are calling, no, I, I still don't know. So are you still didn't know? It's a, it's. A, I I just told myself
1: like, it's a one and a half footer go through your whole routine, look at it. And, um, a, a bunch of my friends. So I, my part of my putting routine is I take two or three practice strokes. And then when I move in, I give my like putter face a swipe and everyone's like, Oh, he's got it. He did the swipe. Right. Like, like I had multiple people tell me, like, I knew you were going to make it when you did the swipe that meant you were in your routine and everything. And I was oddly calm over the putt. I wish my whoop hadn't have died that <laughs> morning. And I forgot, I forgot to charge it. So I sadly have no heart rate data from that round I ended up making it still didn't know. Like my wife greeted me on 18, didn't know cameras were in my face. They, they watching the coverage, like they knew right away based on projections and everything. But even when I went up and signed my card, I was like, I looked, Darren styles was in there and he, he has seen me. at. He was in there 2018 when I missed by a shot he's been in there during a playoff loss for me. He knew what it meant for me. And he's, he's been there. He's, he's, I think he's won five times on the corn ferry tour, spent multiple years on the PGA tour. So he, he knows what it's like. And when he put it in and put the projections up, he kind of gave me kind of one of those like wry smiles. And it was, Hmm. I kind of knew then. And uh, just the, the reception that I got on 18, I kind of had a feeling. And then I kind of walked down the stairs and, Uh, like my caddy was waiting for me and some other players were waiting for me and they were, they were all double fisting. And I'm like, God, this is a lot of celebrating. And I'm like, what, like what's that? And they're like, it's official. And I'm like, Oh shit. So then the beer shower came and it was, uh, no, it was one of the coolest just to have the, to have other players and other peers that you work with and compete with to, to see them happy for you is one of the coolest, most gratifying feelings in the world. And I have a video of the, uh, the beer shower. That video is probably more satisfying than, and then like other players like sought me out after the round to come give me a hug and give me a high five and just congratulate me. And that was one of the coolest feelings for sure.
0: Yeah. Gosh, man. It's a dream come true. Like and here we're just kind of exploring that, that journey over an hour, but you, you lived it for, you know, Going back many, 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 many years before you're even a professional golfer. It's just uh it's incredible. How were you you know, in your post-round interview, your your mind at the time, you were extremely emotional, but you you went immediately to the guy that finished 26th, you know, at Taylor Montgomery. With your experience you had as that guy before, that was kind of the first thing you were thinking of. And you were that was that was who your message was to. I wonder if you could tell us about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I've been in that position. Taylor <laughs> Unfortunately, he, he had the double Gosh. win. He finished 26th in the regular season and 26th in the finals. Like that is, I only, fortunately, I only had it happen to me once in a season. He had it happen to him twice. The kid is a heck of a player. He's one of the best putters I've ever seen. He's he's going to be fine. But I, I just wanted to know that I was thinking of him in that moment. Um, if I can revert back to a podcast that you guys did with um, Steve Elkington which is one of my favorite ones that you guys ever did uh, when he won I think it was the, was it the 95 PGA Riviera, against yeah. at, against uh, Montgomery he wrote Colin a letter and like obviously like with media and everything it's a lot different now I, I just wanted Taylor to know that I was thinking of him in that situation because I know how agonizing and difficult that Finishing that position is so. I just wanted to let him know that I was thinking of him then. So well,
0: wow. well. Something we 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 kind of jumped right into your uh, your PGA Tour career here and Corn Ferry Tour and professional golf career and didn't really do much uh, in terms of background. But one, I'm wondering, how many NAIa golfers are there on the PGA Tour? I think I'm the only That's one. It's not uh, a
1: lot. I, I do know there was a guy from Oklahoma. He plays on the Corn Ferry Tour. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Tyrone uh, Van Asvegen. He played at uh, Oklahoma City, who we competed against every year. Oklahoma City is an NAIA golf powerhouse. Like, they're unbelievable. Um, We could never beat them, uh, just sheer depth-wise. My junior year at Nationals, which was our best chance to win a national championship, their five-man turned in a 72, and our five-man turned in not a 72. Like, at that point, we knew we were – we were beat but that's a whole whole another rabbit hole to yeah. go down into but uh I do believe I am the only NAIA one for You sure. went to
0: for the listeners sake you went to Malone University there in uh in Canton Ohio but one thing that we, we haven't talked about that uh, um, you've talked about a lot over the years and is, uh, I imagine, never a fun topic to discuss, but your life changed a lot in the spring of 2005. You know, we, we've done a video where you, you pro- we profiled that story a few years ago. But for those that don't know that story, what what happened to you and your family on that fateful day? Uh, yeah, it was March 26,
1: 2005. It's a date that it sticks with me forever. So it started off just as a normal day. It was a warm spring day in Ohio. It probably got up to 60 or 65 degrees. So golf courses are packed. People are out of hibernation from the winter. A lot of people wanting to catch up on their golf game. And my dad dropped me off the golf course and he said, I'd pick you up later, like close to sunset or so. Um, That was the last time I saw him and my younger brother around. I want to say, 4.45 to 5 o'clock, somewhere in there, they were on their way to come pick me up from the golf course on probably a nine, no, not even nine mile, eight mile journey from my grandpa's house in Marshallville, Ohio to Lionsden Golf Course in Canal Fulton. My dad, who was intoxicated at the time, blacked out behind the wheel and lost control of the vehicle. And the car had gone across a lane and hit hit a ditch and flipped up and hit a telephone pole and landed on on the top of the car and uh, killing my brother instantly and my dad shortly after. Um, and uh, I was still at the golf course when this happened. I had a cell phone for emergency use only. Mom called me multiple times. She's like, where are you at? I'm like, I'm still at the golf course. Dad hasn't picked me up. And um, she knew, I, I don't know if that's it's the mother's intuition or not, but she knew from the time that I was still at the golf course that something was wrong. She hadn't heard from my dad and what was becoming a longer and longer period of time. We ended up, she came and picked me up from the golf course and we went home, which was only a 10 minute ride from the golf course to see if maybe he forgot and he wasn't there. And then we went back to the golf course to maybe see if he was running late and that maybe his cell phone had died or something like that. This is in the age of flip phones and kind of the brick small phones and whatnot. So it's, I don't reception, Isn't great at times. So maybe we thought his cell phone had died or maybe we could intercept him or something like that. And, uh, we get to the golf course and the owner is there, Andy Lyons. He's like, no one has been here since you guys left. And, um, then we go back home and my mom receives a phone call or no, sorry. She makes a phone call to the American Legion in Marshallville, Ohio, which was the last place my dad was. And they said that they had heard of a car wreck on Marshaville road, which is the road that leads to canal Fulton from Marshaville. that it was a single car accident. My mom knew instantly that it was, uh, that it was my dad and brother. And she's like, get in the car. We're going, we drove up on the scene. Uh, there were ambulance there. There were cops there. It was basically dusk at this point. Like, Sun was going down. We had to convince a bystander who was directing traffic for the police that to let us go through because he told, or the police told him not to let anyone through. And we're like, look, we know those people. They are our family. Yeah, to see the, the car and the ambulance and everything, it's image that has burned in my mind uh, permanently. Um, it's something I deal with uh, from time to time. Uh, I I really don't think I got over the trauma of it, which is something I probably deal with in my personal life uh, today and something I struggle with from time to time. But um, it was a horrible like next like four or five hours. And like that night, like just coming home and like people being at our house, like loved ones being at our house there to comfort us. But like it was just like I remember trying to go to sleep that night. And I'm like, there's like I can't. Like, I just don't know what else to say. And um, it it changed my life completely. Um, Golf was my safe haven. Um, Going to the driving range and going to the golf course became therapeutic for me. Like just going and hitting ball, not even thinking of like swing mechanics or anything like that or results, just like the mere motion of just hitting golf balls. Like it was just something that really helped me through it. Like I, I suffered socially from it just like kind of like a, not like a, why me, but like, like I can't believe this happened to me. I have to, I have to grow up quicker than everyone else. And um, it was just, it was very difficult for me to fathom and my grades suffered. My golf game didn't suffer. I progressed probably even more because I used it as motivation, just playing for my dad and my brother. My dad was someone who took me to golf tournaments and he was always there for me. And, someone to talk to after golf tournaments, before golf tournaments. And I didn't have that anymore. Like I said, I've always just kind of chip on my shoulder type. And I used it as motivation for sure. I, I, I never got the looks that I thought I would get. I, I won states individually my senior year in high school. I thought I was plenty good enough to play in the division one level, but never got the looks because of probably my grades because I suffered. And honestly, I I'll be honest with her. I did the bare minimum to pass. To make sure I was eligible. I didn't want to do anything else other than golf and hang out with my friends who were amazing in this time. Ended up at Malone University and Coach Ken Hyland, who is one of the most influential people I've ever met in my life. uh, Still to this day, he gave me an opportunity to play, an opportunity to go to college. Yeah, graduated in four years and I, I worked really hard on my golf game, really hard to graduate with a degree with a major and a minor as well. And, um, the rest is kind of history, I guess. Man. So.
0: Yeah, that, that answers more, uh, all my questions and more, I think related to that. I, I appreciate you you sharing that. I know no matter how many years roll by, it can't be any easier to, to discuss and, and, uh, and relive, but it, uh, it is a part of your story now, right? I mean, it's, you know, you've, you've talked about, some of the therapy you've done and then, and you know, what that has done to you on and off course. And, uh, that, that's, that's a huge, huge part of your story and something no one should ever have to go through. But, uh, um, with, with with that in mind, as we, as we turn towards, you know, the 20 into the new, the new year, do you have specific goals? Do you have specific goals that you're ready to share internal, external, uh, or, you know, do you set annual goals? What's that look like?
1: I, I do set annual goals. Um, one of them is to just – are kind of, some of them are vague. Some of them are very specific. Like one is to make the FedEx Cup playoffs, just finish in the top 125. Um, another is to win, obviously. But um, another is to just improve daily, learn as much as I can. One of my goals is to become a little more like outgoing when it becomes – when it's, when it comes to talking to other players, like especially guys who have been out there a while um, luckily I know more of them now, but, um, just wanting to talk with them more and learn as much as I can. Um, something I share with people are like, I, I, I love this game and I want to see how good I can get. And I, like I said it in my interview after the last round of the tour championship, like, I don't think this is it. Like there are multiple guys that get to the PGA tour and kind of fizzle out and that's it like I don't want to be that person I want to work harder and and I, I like improve and I want to see how good I can get on a professional level and how good I can get at the game of golf and how like I want to show that I can compete and really belong with the best in the world obviously like I'm a little behind in that category like I like I always think of like Me and Rory's like careers, like we're the same age basically, but we have had completely different careers. Yeah, give or take.
0: it's it's pretty yeah. Yeah. Like it's just you have the same (laughs) amount of master's titles.
1: That's that's low. (laughs) That's 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 like I know no, I know for sure, but um like I'm a huge, huge fan of him, like and I I've looked up to them even though we're the same age, and some of them I'm even older than like I've looked up to like the way they go about the game and I just, I, I, I want to see how good I can get. I bought a track man, whether or not that'll help. Um, I do think it's helped already. I bought it before Bermuda. So that, um, I think paid for itself. So I'm learning there. I just think it gives, I think it gives information that is invaluable to a professional golfer. So I'm, I'm taking steps to really trying to see how good I can get one of my things. And it's, it comes from that self-esteem issue that I've talked about is seeking players out and or other players out and seeing like knowing that if I have the freedom to pick their mind like how what can I learn from them and how good can I actually get and if I can make a long career of being on the PGA Tour great I I just want to really see how good I can get so
0: at a certain level doesn't Bermuda check a lot of those boxes in terms of like you've I mean you didn't win Bermuda you were there though in in contention so You've never been in contention on the PGA Tour prior to that, but yet you have done that now. Doesn't does that help you roll forward with like? Well, now I know that I, there has to be something back there for all the years that you play of like wondering, like, hey, can I actually compete with the at the highest level for this like a PGA Tour golf tournament? Now that you've done that, just the one time, doesn't that get rid of some doubt in terms of whether or not it makes it? If you say I want to win this next year, that makes that so much less outrageous of a statement, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I I took a lot away from that event. And it like one of the things I may have to get over is being humble. Like you said it earlier, like don't like don't be (laughs) don't downplay that like you like I was there like I was but that's part of like, just who I am. I'm very humble. I don't like talking about myself. I don't like talking about what I've done. I've done a lot. But at the same time, I really haven't done a whole lot compared to others. And that's another thing I'm very guilty of. I compare myself to others career-wise, win-wise, finish-wise like and it's something I have to get over at times. Like sometimes like the best you can do in a week is a T17, other times the worst you can do is a T17. If we're getting into a golf perspective, like it's taking advantage of those weeks here and there. And like one of the things that I do is like on this podcast and other podcasts as well, I listen to the ones with other players more than i listen to the the recaps that you guys do and it's because i want to learn as much as i can like the ones with max that you guys have done the ones with maverick that you guys have done i've learned probably more from those than i can from other people i feel like it's really helped me and it's like even though like i know i can do it i i just really want to see like how how good can i actually get
0: that's a rotella thing too that, that was a light bulb moment for me when he said you know, if you uh, go into a just like a particular round of golf and are expecting to shoot, say, seventy two, when you get to four under, you're gonna be very uncomfortable, like because your mind is not letting you realize like, you, you you're on the like the the good end of the curve, and your mind knows that down there. Whereas if you go out and say like, you no, know, no, I'm shooting like I'm shooting seven under today, when you get to four under, your mindset's three more birdies instead of like let's steer it into the house and maybe we'll get even better than I wanted, and that that I think can. You talked about being humble there i think that it's it's a hard thing for your mind to channel in terms of wanting to be humble and you know and talking to people and whatnot like internally you have to just tell yourself like i'm that dude like i am that dude i am that good and separating the two out because uh can be difficult because your mind isn't maybe as able to separate out the two things i don't know if rotella can explain this a lot better than i can but that's kind of where i'm at in terms of like having self-belief is extremely 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 important no, oh, for
1: sure. Like you talk about, or you hear what uh, Brooks says about it, like the the mindset that he had, where it was just to make the cut, and then he then once he was able to flip that mindset to winning, is when he actually started winning more and more. And you look at the success he's had, especially in the majors. Um, the way he obviously breaks down fields in the majors is a little different. That's that's the mindset that you have to be in, and that is the hardest mindset to get in, I think, because like you said, like way earlier in this episode, it's very hard to walk away from a golf tournament when there's only one winner and not think that you're quote unquote, a failure. Like, yeah, you did fail not to win, but it may be like a solo second or a solo third or a top 10 even could be your best finish ever. And that's something, that's where you have to take the positive and be like, okay, I'm going to do that the next week. And then that solo, that top 10 that you are wanting like okay i'm i'm trying for a top 5 this week i'm trying to win this week and that's where like you have to keep building on that and that's where obviously experience helps with that so getting in more events and getting in more situations like that helps more and more but um uh it's
0: ever evolving it never the, it, you know it's oh, 100 it's, yeah there's not a cheat sheet to it you can convince yourself you're going to win but how does that help you if you actually end up on the cut line right are you how does that prevent you from getting down on yourself and, and you know, wondering what the heck, why the heck you're down there and all that stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's so complicated, but we're, we're going to get you out of here on the, on the biggest, maybe the toughest question I've got to ask you. You list major league as one of your favorite movies, but I need your review of major league Two Cause it was one of the few VHSs I had, or it was the, the VHS that stayed in the VCR as a kid. And I've seen it maybe a hundred times, but I need to hear your review yeah. of major league Two
1: it's not as good as the first oh, one. oh damn it See, I love to
0: <laughs> only because I've seen it so many times but yeah
1: I... no it's it's good but it's just not the first one is just the quotes and the every it's it's just such a classic and just being even though it wasn't really even filmed in Cleveland I think it was most of it was filmed in Milwaukee um just um just being that it's the Indians and everything and the lovable losers and all that like it's just I don't know it just makes it more and more fun and how uh like the owner's story or the owner's plan backfires on her and everything and it's just it just makes it that I much better the,
0: i need to rewatch opinion. that as, as an adult but uh yeah well justin we're glad to finally have you on man it's been a pleasure following your journey over the years and rooting for you and we are so thrilled for uh the success you've had and are going to continue to have and thank you for uh, I, I've been dragging my feet having you on and that's my fault but thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and perspective on things greatly appreciate it and I'm sure listeners appreciate it, and we'll be rooting for you in the coming year
1: no worries thanks Sully thanks for everything you guys do um, as a fan of golf you guys are
0: very good we're for not we're not making you obligated to say that but thank you we appreciate that So, <laughs> cheers man take care yeah see ya be the right club be the right club today Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about in?
1: That is better than most. Better than most.
0: <laughs> Expect.